Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Welcome to Gwinnett Church. My name is Reed, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, we're talking all about um, this love of God today. But I wanted to start by asking you, what is the craziest thing you've ever done for love? Don't say it out loud. This is not a dialogue. This is a monologue right now. And so, but uh, I want you to think about it. What is the craziest thing you've ever done for love? And as I was thinking about it um, for me, the craziest thing I've ever done for love um, is has to do with this right here. I'm going to explain this in a second. So seven years ago, uh, my my wife and I found out that we would be parents for the very first time. And when you are about to become a parent, you know this. For those of you that um, have 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 kids of your own, like when you first like find out that you're going to have a kid and you don't have any other kids, so this is your first kid, everybody starts giving you advice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's unsolicited. Uh, women, it's even worse for you because also people give you advice and they touch you like in public. They'll be like, oh, and you're like, what? This is Kroger. I don't know you, you know, like, and so it's like, oh my gosh, right? Like it's, it's, it's kind of weird, you know, and people are giving you advice and there's the optimistic advice where people are like, oh my gosh, it's going to be the best. You're going to love it. It's going to change your life. And then there's the, the people that are pessimistic in their advice and they're like, oh my gosh, it's the worst. And, and your life is over, right? Like, and so you're like, oh, like get ready for the next 18 years. And you're like, oh wow, seriously. Um, and, and so like you start to get all the advice and people are telling you things and they're, and they're warning you about things and they're telling you about that first diaper change that you're going to have that looks like an oil spill and you're going to have like, yeah, the people laughing have kids. Those of you, <laughs> what? I don't understand. Just bring Dawn soap with you. Just get ready. Um, and so it's, it's, it's brutal, right? They're, they're warning you about things. They're telling you all the stuff that you need to buy. People are telling you all these like items that you need in order to keep this tiny human alive. And you got to have this brand. You got to have this thing and don't get those because they leak, get this other brand, you know? And then, and so they're, they're telling you all the stuff that you need. And, and so in that process, my wife and I are trying to figure out like, oh my gosh, like, do we get all these things? And you know, you do your baby shower and people are giving you gifts and you're like, I don't know what this is. And then, uh, one one day when I was at work, one of my friends, Dave, he brought me an item and it was this item right here. And uh, he said, this is going to change your life. And I said, uh, if you don't have kids, you're like, what do you do with that? <laughs> See, this is about to get weird, right? Like it's not, it's, well, I mean it is, but it's not as weird as you think. Um, this is called a nose Frida. Right. And so some of you that don't have kids or have never seen one of these just breathe a collective sigh of relief because, you know, this goes in their nose. And so um, so this is called a nose Frida. And uh, the reason why he gave, he said, this is going to change your life. He said, listen, when your baby is little um, at the hospital, right, they're going to give you this like little blue, like suctiony thing. And it's for when they get like a stuffy nose or when they're teething and they're like get runny nose and you use the little like suction cuppy thing. 
And it like will help clear their nose because babies really can't do anything, right? They, they don't do anything for themselves. They just, and so, and so they're like, they can't do anything. They can't even hold their head up. They're, they're not even looking at you. It's bizarre. They're like blind and everything, you know, like, so like, they can't do anything. They'll reciprocate none of your love. And then you got to squeeze this thing in their nose. And so they, they give you this little suction cuppy thing. And, and my friend was like, listen, that's okay. Like it's okay, but it doesn't really clear out their nose. And so then your kid is miserable and they're waking themselves up at the night, which means they're waking you up in the middle of the night. And then you and your wife are like arguing about things that aren't even really the thing. You're just like, I'm tired. And so it's like, he's like, I'm just telling you, this is going to change your life. You're going to need it. He's like, the way it works is you stick this part in their nose and then you use your mouth and you, and, and I was like, oh, I said, what? I go, you use this? He was like, all the time. And I was like, oh, you're a freak. You know what I mean? Like, this is the weirdest thing I have ever heard. I'm like, I will never use that. I brought it home. I showed it to my wife. I said, can you believe this? She was like, ew, you know, like, like we are not using that. And so we set it aside. We put it in that like corner of the room or the nursery when you're getting things ready um, with all the stuff that people gave you that you're like, I'm not going to use that or I don't know what that is. And so we like put it over there in that corner and we're like, what are we even going to do with this thing? Like, there's no way. And I'm like, I'm not using it. My wife's like, I'm definitely not using it. So if somebody's going to use it, it's going to be you, but it's not going to be me. And, and then that baby comes. And uh, y'all, I knew from the second I held that little girl that I was in trouble. I was wrecked. I was wrapped around her finger from the second she entered this world. And I knew, I, like, I, I repented of all of my high school years. And I said, oh my gosh, like, this is, this is amazing. And I knew that I loved her more than anything in the whole world. And, um, and so fast forward a couple months and Blakely, our now seven-year-old, right? Like um, a couple months into her being a little infant, she gets her first cold and her nose is stuffy and she's, you know, waking herself up and she's crying and she's miserable. So we're miserable and, and I'm trying the little suction cuppy thing. And it's like Dave said, it sort of works, but it's not really doing the trick. And I thought, I want to bring this baby relief and I want my wife and I to get some sleep. And so I thought, oh, you know what? There's that nose Frida over there in that box. And I was like, Morgan, maybe we should use it. And she's like, maybe you should use it. (laughs) She's like, are you serious? Like I gave birth to that. You can suck the boogers out of their nose. (laughs) So I was like, you go and use it. And I said, yes, ma'am. And, uh, And so sure enough, I go and I read the instructions so I can make sure I'm not going to like suck her brain out or make sure that I don't end up like, you know, like there's a filter on it. Right. So before you guys think I'm a total weirdo. Right. Like um, and so I, I use it. And, uh, and it works, but I can just tell you, it is as gross as it sounds. Okay. It's gross. It's awful. Like you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, like it's nasty, but I'll tell you this. I love that little girl so much that at seven years old right now, if she needed me to on this stage, I would suck boogers out of her face. <laughs> if that meant that it would bring her some sense of relief, that's how much I love her. And that you guys is the craziest thing I have ever done for love. Right. And love makes you do crazy. Yeah. You can clap for that. Like love makes you do crazy things though. Doesn't it? It makes you do crazy things, right? Like you all have said and done some crazy things 
for love. You have gone out of your way. You have driven through the night to see that person who you guys were going to different schools at the time, but you just needed to see each other for an hour. And it was like, like you've, you've done the drive in the middle of the night. You've done the late night phone call where you're on and you're like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. And you fell asleep on the phone like, like you've done that. You've, you, you've taken interest in things that you would never normally be interested in. Some of you, you started dating them and then you were like, yay, sports, right? Like, or, or, or some of you in here, you were like, you know what? Like, I, I don't normally, I'm not really into this whole HGTV thing. And now all of a sudden, because they're interested in it, you're like, let's get this British baking. You know what I mean? Like, and so you're like about it, right? Like, like, like you've, you've gotten a tattoo in the name of love. You've gotten the tattoo changed in the name of love. Some of you, you bought a minivan, right? You bought a minivan in the name of love. You said, I will never do that. I'm getting a Tahoe. And then you saw that a Tahoe is one billion. And so you said a four cylinder sounds great. And you got the minivan because it's still got TVs in the back. And so you got it. And you said, in the name of love, I'll drive this minivan and, and I'll push it to its limits, right? Like we do some crazy things for love. And today on Easter though, as simply and as clearly as we can today, I want to tell you about the craziest thing that anybody's ever done for love. And to do that, to drive our conversation, we're going to take a look at what one of the best friends of Jesus said about the life and the mission and the purpose of Jesus. This guy named John, who is the self-proclaimed best friend of Jesus. As a matter of fact, when he writes about himself, he doesn't call himself John. He'll call himself the one who Jesus loved, which is really arrogant or just really confident, right? Like, and so John, right, will, will write, and there's this instance in John chapter three where there was someone, a religious leader named Nicodemus, who came to speak to Jesus in the middle of the night because he didn't want to be seen. And he had some questions about who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. And Jesus welcomes him in, even though he'd been doing ministry all day, which is really good news that if you're here today and you've got questions about Jesus, you need to know that Jesus doesn't reject you for your questions and doubt when it comes to Jesus does not count you out. If you've got questions, he always welcomes question askers and truth seekers. And so he welcomes this guy and he begins to have a conversation. And the guy wants to know, Jesus, what are you all about? Why should I pay attention to you? Why, why, like, like, what's the big deal about you? And they have this conversation. It's fascinating. You can go and read it in John chapter three. But in the midst of that conversation, John pauses to write this thing about Jesus, this verse, this passage that we're about to read and unpack today. And what he writes, it, it be, became and has now become probably the most famous passage of scripture. If you've never been to church before, you've still probably heard this verse. And if you've been around church, then you've heard this verse probably a million times. But I invite you this morning on Easter Sunday, I invite you to hear it with fresh ears and with an open heart, ready to receive what it is that God might have for you through this Today, And so I want to show you what, according to John, is the craziest thing that anybody's ever done for love. And then I want to talk to you about what that means for you and I today. And so here's the verse. You know it. It says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John says, hey, when I think about Jesus and after all the conversations that I saw him have and all the sermons that I heard him preach after watching his life and ministry up close and personal, the best way that I can describe what Jesus came to do is this right here. He says, listen, when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to Easter, what we celebrate is first and foremost, he says that for God so loved the world. When we think about Easter, when we think about what we have to be grateful for today, what we're celebrating today, it starts with this, that God so loved the world. And I don't know if you've ever paused to think about that, that he doesn't say like God just tolerated or that he just liked or even that he loved, but that he so loved. Y'all know there's a difference between loved and so loved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, have y'all ever seen somebody with a case of the so loves? You know what I'm saying? Like they are just infatuated, right? Like it's that, it's that person on Instagram that just got that new puppy and it's just like puppy, puppy, puppy. And you're like, whoa, right? Like it's like, it's like, they're, like they are infatuated. They are obsessed. It's over the top. When I think about somebody um, who had a, a bad case of the so loves, I think about my mom in, in how she felt about my brother and I or how she feels. This is actually current. She has a current infatuation with us, right? Like, um, but especially growing up, it was very apparent that, that she had a bad case of the so loves. My mom was that person that even when we got into our middle school and high school years and it was no longer cool to be seen hugging your mom or anything like that, my mom just pressed in even harder. You know what I mean? Like, cause she had a case of the so loves. Like, like she was not gonna let you get out of the car without giving her a, a kiss or a hug goodbye. She would do this, she would... Drop, she'd be dropping you off at practice and, and my brother and I would be like, please just drop us off like around the corner. You know what I mean? Like, but my mom would, would pull up and, and she, would, she would pull up to the front and she would go, dame un besito, mi amor. Which means give me a kiss, my love. And we were like, Mm-mm, no, no. She's like, you're not getting out of this car until you give me a kiss. So dame un besito, mi amor, right? Like, and, and we would be like, no, right? Like, and I swore to myself, you guys, like uh, when I was in middle school and high school, I said, I'll never do that to my kids. And now I'm walking my daughter to the bus stop and we're down there at the bus stop and she's in her little line. And before she gets on the bus, I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. un besito, mi amor. You know what I mean? Well, you better give me a kiss. She's like, dude, I have a mask on. I said, kiss me through the mask. You know what I mean? Like, like you're gonna give me a kiss, right? It's the soul loves, right? Like it's that, it's that over the top kind of love. And John says, when it comes to, to God, if you wanna know what Jesus came for and why he came, if you wanna know what this whole Easter thing is all about, it starts with understanding that God so loves the world. He's crazy about the people in it. He's crazy about you and about me. Listen, you may not be sure what you think about God. You may not be sure about how you feel towards God. You may not even be sure how, what you believe about God. You may not be sure about the whole organized religion thing or church or Christianity, but John wants you to know from firsthand perspective, he wants you to know that God is very clear about what he thinks and feels about you. And that is that he so loves you. He's crazy about you. And, and maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're like, well, how do I know that I can trust that that's true? Because people have told me they loved me before and then they hurt me. 
People have told me they, they loved me before and then they let me down. People have told me that they loved me before and then they didn't show up when I needed them most. People have told me that they loved me before and then they took advantage of me, they abused me, no, or, or they simply stabbed me in the back. Like, like people have said that they loved me, but then, but then they didn't and they showed with their actions that it wasn't true. So how do I know that when John tells me that God loves me so much. How do I know that it's true? Well, you see, what God promises with his words, he actually fulfills with his actions. And so he says in here, he says, God so loved the world that he didn't just want to say it, but he actually put action to his emotion. He put sacrifice to his sentiments. And it says that he so loved that he gave. He gave. You see, real love requires an action. Real love requires, I'll go so far as to say, real love requires sacrifice. You bending towards the other person, meeting them where they're at, putting your preferences aside and leaning towards that other individual. And God says, and John says about God that he so loves us that he, he gave. And he didn't just give something that was lying around, you guys. He didn't just give something that, that he had extra of. He didn't just give um, out of just uh, something that he had an abundance of. He didn't give something that was cheap or that was simple to give. It says that he so loved that he gave the most precious thing that he could give. It says that he gave his one and only son. God so loves you and me. He so loves us that he gave, and he didn't just give something that was cheap. He gave something costly, something that was precious. He gave his one and only son. And now y'all, that, that is crazy love. That's a crazy kind of love. When I, when I think about that kind of love, it, it stops me in my tracks because I think about this. I love you guys. I do. As the pastor of this church, I love you all. And I pray for you and I do my best to lay myself down for you. And I try to serve you as best as I can. And, and, and I love you. But when I think about the idea of giving up Blakely or Miles or Landon for any of you, I'll just tell you, I'll be honest, no way. I could never do it. I could never do it. That price is too much for me to pay. And yet, John says, God so loves each and every one of you and doesn't want anything to come between you and him that he gave that which is most precious to him so that you and I can have relationship with him. That's some crazy love. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard anybody do for love. Now, why on earth would he do that? Why would he need to do that? He says it right here. He says he did it. He did it to save. God so loves you and me that he gave that which is most precious to us to save us. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going like, save us from what? Like, I don't think I need saving. I got a great house, got a great job. Like, what do I need saving from? And this is the bad news that we've got to talk about on Easter um, because you guys, it's only when we confront the bad news that we can actually really uh, embrace the good news of the gospel 
right? We've got to talk about it. And even though we hate to admit it or we hate to confront it we hate to, to, to look at it, uh, we've got to talk about this bad news, the reality that we needed saving and what we needed saving from is this thing called sin. You see, every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter if you have grown up in church and you were water birthed in the baptismal, like no matter where you're from or what you've done, no matter how, how, how much you've been in church or how far you feel like you've been from church, listen, every single one of us is infected and affected by this thing called sin. And sin is simply an archery term. It means to miss the mark. And so when we talk about sin, what we're saying is that every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, every single one of us in our own way, we miss the mark. You say, what mark? Well, we miss the mark of of perfection. We miss the mark of what's ideal. We miss the mark. And listen, this is not even like, like, like we can talk about God's mark of perfection, but also like if, if you're just being honest, you miss the mark of, of how you know you ought to live, of how you know you ought to treat people. We miss the mark with our actions, with our thoughts, with our attitudes. We, we miss the mark. And I don't have to preach and sweat and get all yelling and, and stuff like that to convince you of this. All we've got to do is look around us. And if you're willing, look within us and we can see the effects of this sin in our world and in our lives. It shows up in the form of our selfishness. It shows up in the form of our, of our pride. It shows up in the form of our insecurities and our comparisons. It shows up in the form of our bitterness and our unforgiveness. It shows up in the form of our guilt and our shame that we feel. It shows up in the form of our prejudice. It shows up in the form of our rebelliousness. It shows up in the form of our greed, it shows up in all kinds of ways. It shows up in, in our society as, as racism, as classism, as sexism, as all the other isms that threaten to divide us and tear us apart. It shows up in all of these ways in our culture. You don't have to look very hard to see that we do need some saving because sin has had its effect. And the reality about sin, the reality about sin is that it affects and infects every single one of us. And it damages our lives. It damages our relationships. It damages our souls. And what the Bible teaches is that ultimately whatever sin touches, it kills. And so it makes us not just bad, but it makes us spiritually dead. This is what sin does. As one Bible author, a guy, one of the most famous Christian thinkers and leaders uh, named Paul wrote, he said, the wages of sin is death. And so sin, this sin thing is a really, really big deal. And the problem with sin for us is that no matter how hard we try to fix it or deny it or ignore it, we cannot erase the effects of sin. We can't undo it with our own effort and our own energy. We can't do it. No matter how hard we try, it will forever be a one step forward, two steps back if we try to take care of this condition on our own. And that's the bad news, that all of us in our sin, we are dead and separated from God. And yet, 
the good news of Easter, and this is where we turn to the good news, and this is what we see in this verse. The good news of Easter is that God so loves that when he looks at us in our sin condition, he doesn't stand back and point a finger in judgment. No, he steps in and he sends his son to save. The good news of Easter is that God, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves through Jesus. He sent Jesus to live the life that none of us could live, perfect and blameless, to die the death that we deserved because of our sin. And then three days later after his death, Jesus rose and he left the grave behind so that you and I can leave our old sin-ridden lives behind and we can live new and full and free and forever with him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Easter. It's the craziest thing that anyone's ever done for love, that God would look at people and see that when we couldn't fix ourselves, he would intervene and he would do for us what we could never do for, for us. That's pretty crazy. There's a word for this. There's a word for this, this so love of God. The word is grace. Grace is what we celebrate at Easter, that while we couldn't do this for ourselves, that God would intervene. That word grace means unmerited favor. It's an undeserved gift. You can't earn it. You can't behave your way to it, right? Like grace is this gift that God gives to you and to me of his love, not because we're lovable and not because we're good, but because he is and because he so loves us, right? He gives us this, this grace, and we celebrate that on Easter and, and, and we embrace that grace. But I want to tell you something today is that grace, the good news about grace is that grace doesn't just change your forever. It doesn't just change your eternity. It doesn't just take care of your sin and ensure you heaven later. Grace, when you embrace grace, when you embrace this so love of God, it doesn't just change your forever. It changes your right now. And I know this because you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof of it. I know it not just because I've read about it, but because I have experienced this. I will never forget the moment that this truth that I am so loved by God became my truth, that this reality became my reality. I'll never forget the moment that I embraced grace and, and how I'm seeing its results in me. I was 19 years old. Um, I didn't really grow up really interested in church. Um, I didn't really do the whole, the whole church thing. I came from time to time because my mom loved church and that was kind of her thing. And so I would come just out of respect. But if I was honest with you, um, I thought that, that God loved good people and that um, if I started to, to take an interest that he was going to either ask too much of me or he was going to want nothing to do with me because of the lifestyle that I was living. And so I thought, nah, I don't, I don't know that I really fit that category. I don't know that I'm somebody that God would love. And so I kind of just kept God at arm's length. And then 19 years old, um, I came back from my freshman year at the University of Georgia, having done all the things that typical freshmen at the University of Georgia do. And uh, I came and my mom told me, she said, you're not going to sit around all summer and play Xbox. You're going to get a job. And I was like, all right, you know. So I went, 
I looked around, tried to get a job. I couldn't find anything because I was kind of late to the game and putting in some applications. And then my mom told me, she said, hey, I got you a job with this guy um, who goes to church with us. He's a landscaper. And I was kind of into myself. And I thought, oh, I can take my shirt off and like mow grass. You know what I'm saying? Get it, saying, Hey, ladies. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I thought that I would, I thought I would do that. Little did I know this was a complete and total setup like between my mom and this guy Gus and the Holy Spirit of God. Um, it was a divine appointment, right? Like, like this guy was a Christian and I'm talking about a Christian Christian, like, like, like legit, like he loved God and, and he was always talking about his relationship with God, not in a pushy way. He just was always talking about it like it was natural, like it was a part of his daily routine. He'd tell me about things that the pastor was talking about. And I was like, good for him. And, uh, and he would tell me about things that he'd been reading in his Bible and, and he would blare Christian music in the car. Like it was like good. And I was like, what is that? You know, like, and, and he would, he would, he would do that. And he was just one of those guys. Like he was, he was comfortable in his own skin. He was generous. He was kind. He was forgiving. He was living out this love that God had shown to him. And it was honestly, it was attractive. It was compelling. I didn't know what I thought about what he believed, but I was compelled by his life. I can remember one time in particular, um, I was blown away with how he responded to me. Um, I showed up late for work on a Monday um, because of what I'd been doing on Sunday night. And, uh, and I showed up late, still smelling like the party from the night before. And um, I remember I thought for sure he's gonna lay into me or he's gonna give me some Christian like, God's mad at you, you know? Like I thought that that's what he was gonna give me the, the lecture about why my life was wrong and, and everything like that. And I remember I showed up in his driveway and I'm an hour and a half late and he comes and he puts his arm around me and he goes, hey man, I'm glad you're here. Let's get to work. And I thought, it's not what I expected. I thought he was gonna look down on me. I thought he was gonna give me the lecture. We got to work. And um, it was one of the first times I'd experienced like that kind of grace that we've been talking about this morning. Now, Gus, all summer long, he invited me to these Bible studies and uh, I was always like, nah, right? Like I, I didn't really want to go. Um, I didn't really want to do the whole Bible thing. I had like, I had like two Bibles at the time. I had like the, the one that I got from my first communion that was like, in King James. So it was like, and thee, thou, thou, thy, thou, you know? And I was like, mm, I don't get this. And then, uh, and then I also had like, you know, like the kid Bible that has like pop up Jesus. And I was like, mm, no, thanks. And so I was like, I'm not going to go to this Bible study. It's embarrassing. I don't really know what I'm talking about. No, I don't want to go. But this guy had been so kind to me all summer and he'd shown me so much love and grace and forgiveness and acceptance that I was like, man, maybe I should go to something. I feel like I owe it to him. End of the summer, there's this youth event, like we're getting close to me going back to school and he's like, you should just come. And I went and I sat in the back of the room where it was dark and the lights were kind of down and I didn't want anybody to see me. I don't want to talk to any of these people. So I go and the speaker gets up and they start talking about this so love of God that we're talking about today. This grace that God has for you that no matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done, that God loves you, he forgives you, he accepts you and he wants a relationship with you. And, and as she's saying it, she's speaking to all of my, it was like she was talking right to me. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before in church, but you're like, oh, 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 oh. Did my mom text this person? You know what I mean? Like, and it was like, oh my gosh, right? Like it was like, it was like they were speaking right to me. And then she gets to that part. If you've ever been to like a youth camp or anything like that, where they're like, all right, now with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, lights go down. Person starts playing the keys behind them. You know what I mean? Like, and there's that moment that's happening. 
And, and she's like, you know, if you want to put your trust in Jesus, if you want to accept the so love, this grace of God that he has for you. And I'm sitting back there and I got that feeling like I'm about to, I'm about to cry. I was moved. And, um, fellas, y'all know, y'all know this, like, you know, that moment where you're like, I'm not about to cry. I'm not going to do it. I won't, you know, like, and I'm like trying to, I got the lump in my throat. I'm trying to swallow down my tears. And uh, she says, you know, if you want to accept Jesus, you can stand up and come down to the front. And I stood up and, you know, nobody's supposed to be looking, but everybody peeks, you know. (laughs) So all all the Christians are peeking and high-fiving, like score another one for heaven, you know. (laughs) So they're all high-fiving each other. And I stand up and they're thinking I'm going to walk down front, but I'm just not ready. I wasn't there yet. I still didn't believe that what was true for so many others could be true for me. And so instead of walking to the front, I walked out the back. I'm sure they were all like, no, right? Like a reverse salvation, you know? Like, so I walked out. That Monday, Gus followed up with me and he said, uh, he said, Reed, what'd you think? And I was like, I mean, it was all right. We drive down the road a little ways. As we're driving, I don't know what overcame me. Maybe it was the the Holy Spirit of God prompting me. Maybe it was just my own, just burning, nagging questions. But all of a sudden, I just started unloading on Gus. And I started saying, man, if all that stuff is true, if God really loves us so much, if all of that's true, then why'd my aunt die of cancer at 32? Why'd my mom get cancer? If all that's true, then why do people at church look at me like I'm some kind of leper because I've had a beer or said a bad word. Why do I get treated like garbage? I said, if all of that's so true, then why are so many Christians so fake? I was like, if all of that's true, man, how can it be true? Maybe it's true for some of them, but it can't be true for me. And I just unloaded questions on him. And, uh, he was awesome. He is awesome. Gus is awesome. Um, the way he responded, Christians, we should all take note. You know, I don't know is an okay answer. He said, I, I don't know for all that stuff, man. He, he began to unpack what he could unpack. And then what he didn't, he didn't give me some know-it-all answer. He was, he was gracious. He was kind. He walked with me through some of those questions. He said, look, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that you are so loved by God and that the cross and the empty tomb is evidence of that. Because when somebody dies for you, you don't have to doubt how they feel about you. And so he goes, Reed, I know that God loves you. And I thought about that. I thought about that for, for a couple weeks, actually. And then came the week that I was supposed to go back uh, to school. I was supposed to go back to Georgia. And uh, as I'm about to go back, Gus asks me, we're finishing up one of our jobs over on 20. Um, at this, we're mowing the grass at this church across from the Applebee's on 20. And, um, and he asks me as we're pulling out of the place, he's like, Reed, I got to know before you go back, where are you at with Jesus? Where are you at? And then I'm just, at this point, I'm nervous, y'all. Palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, yo, like, that's an Eminem reference. That's how you know I wasn't always saved. And so... I was nervous, right? Like I, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm like not, like I'm not ready, like to answer this question. I don't know, like where I'm at with this. And I'm, I'm staring at the floorboard of this man's truck, and we're driving. And he's like, I just gotta know where you're at with Jesus, man. 
He loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you. He died and rose so that you can have a new life. It could change everything for you. And I'm just like, I'm not, I don't know. And I'm staring at the floorboard of his truck. I can't even look at him. And all I can say to him is, man, I don't think God loves people like me. I know that's true for those church kids. But man, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I'm from. And I just said, man, I don't think he loves people like me, Gus. I'll never forget. He pumps the brakes, pulls over on the side of the road, right there on 20 by the Mall of Georgia. And he goes, Reed, look at me. I don't want to look at him. I was crying. I looked up and he goes, you are exactly the kind of person that God would love. And you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus died for. And you are exactly the kind of person who can have a relationship with God. He said, he only loves sinners. He goes, and that's all of us. And right there, you guys, on the side of the road, Highway 20 by the Mall of Georgia, I believed it for the very first time. I believed it. I think probably part of it is because I saw it in Gus. Something powerful about seeing the love of God expressed in a living person. And so I think I believed for the first time that that could be true for me, that God could love me because I saw it in Gus. And I wish I could say that everything in that moment changed for me. I think my all, it, it did in a way. My sins were forgiven right there in that moment. But it's been a process of God changing me. And when you embrace grace, you need to know this. You don't have to change to get in on grace. But if you embrace grace, it will change some things in your life. And so what I've noticed is that I've, as I've embraced grace, not just my forever has changed, but my immediate, my present, my life here and now has begun to change. I'll tell you just a couple things that have changed for me and then we can sing another song and we can get out of here. But the, the things that have begun to change for me, you guys, and that could potentially change for you if you were to embrace the grace of God. As I've embraced the grace of God, something that's changed is the way that I relate to God. No longer is it about my do's and don'ts and trying to get brownie points to get right with him. Now, when, now I realize that God so loved me before I ever did anything for him. And so now my relationship with God is not about do's and don'ts. It's about done. What God has done. And so now I don't, I don't come to church or read my Bible or, or sing worship songs because I feel like I have to or because I feel like I'm performing for something. I do it out of gratitude because he loves me. And on my worst day, I am confident that, that he won't love me any less. And on my best day, I know that he won't love me anymore. It's just unconditional. It's there. And so now my relationship with God is not about performance. It's just about believing and receiving and walking with him. And so the way I relate to God has changed. As I've embraced grace, it hasn't just changed the way I relate with God, it's changed the way I see myself. You see, we all have labels that we put on ourselves, and we all have ways that we grade ourselves and, and based on our accomplishments or our failures. And, and now though, because I've embraced grace, what I realize is that there is a label on my life that supersedes all other, and that is that I am a so loved son of a God who created me. And that's the label that supersedes all other labels over my life. So I don't judge myself by my worst days or my best days. I simply look at myself knowing that I am loved and accepted and forgiven. And that's some really, really good news. So it's changing the way I see myself. And then 
The last thing is, it's changing this grace of God that I've embraced and that you can embrace as well. It's changing the way that I see and treat people. Because I have seen that if God so loved me and he so loves the world, then that means that every other person that I interact with outside of here is someone that God loves and that Jesus died for. And so it's changing the way that I treat others and the way that I see others. And I don't always get this right, but I'm getting better each day that I walk with Jesus and embrace his grace. I become someone who extends grace. You see, when you embrace the grace of God, what you come to understand is that God gives you grace so that it can flow through you to others. It's not meant to stop with you. It's meant to flow through you so that you can be like what Gus was for me to somebody else in your life and in your sphere of influence. The love of God flows to you in order to flow through you. And so you begin to see and treat people differently when you embrace this grace for yourself. You realize that loved people are meant to love people. It's a game changer. And this... This is what the grace of God can do for us, not just in our forever, but in our here and now. This is what we celebrate at Easter, this crazy, bold, audacious act of selfless, unconditional love that God would send his son for people who are broken and busted, and he would, he would give his son to save each and every one of us. This is what we celebrate, this grace of God. And when we embrace grace, it changes are today and are forever. And so there's two groups of people I wanna to talk to real quick and then we'll, we'll end. The first group are those of you that walked in here and you feel like I did at 19 years old. You are not sure what God thinks about you. I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else today, you are so loved by God and you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus would die for. No matter who you are, where you're from, you may say, Reed, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know what I've been told by church. You don't know about my hurts. You don't know what people have said to me. Listen, I just want you to know today, you are so loved by God and you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants a relationship with. And so that's available for you today. And if you want to receive that love and you want to walk in that love and you want to believe that, you don't have to have some special prayer. You don't have to come down to the altar. You can believe and receive that right now where you're at. And as I pray to close the service, you can say, God, I want in on that. And as we sing these last songs, you can say, God, I want in on that. And we as a church, we'd love to come alongside you and help you to begin to walk that out. And we'll talk about some ways that we can do that as we dismiss. But, but you can receive that love today and you can begin a relationship. You can embrace the so love of God. And I promise you, it'll change everything for you. And then there's the other group of people and it's the Christians in the room. And I just got to lean on you a little bit. Listen. There are some of you and you've come and you've done the Easter thing for years and years and years and you've been in church for years and years and years and you have embraced God's grace, but you are still making other people earn your love and you are still making other people in your life earn God's love and you are putting rules and regulations on people that God himself did not put on you. And what I wanted to tell you today is that God, the grace of God has come to you in order to flow through you and that as a loved person, you are called to love people 
And so I just want to challenge us Christians in the room. Let's be Easter people, people that believe that God loves and forgives and accepts us. And so let's love and forgive and accept others in our lives and in our spheres of influence. And maybe just maybe the people in our lives and the people in our at our workplace and the people in our neighborhood will catch a glimpse of a God that loves them in our lives. And they'll begin to believe that what was true for us is true for them, that they are so loved by their heavenly father. So let's be Easter people, Christians in the room. Let's be people that extend the love that God has shown to us, to others. Because chances are there's a read more in your life. It's got some questions. And you might just be the picture of that so love of God for them. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Um, your love, your goodness, your grace. We thank you that when you saw us in our sin, you didn't point a finger in judgment, but you stepped in and you reached out a hand to help and to save. And we celebrate that today. Thank you so much that grace is on the table today and that we can embrace that grace and it won't just change our forever one day. It changes our here and now today. Thank you so much for grace. And I pray, God, I pray for the person sitting out there that's wondering what you think about them. I pray that they would know that they are so loved by you. And for those of us that know your love, I pray that we would show your love. Give us the courage, give us the conviction, give us the grace to be able to be dispensers of grace so that the world around us might catch a glimpse of this so love that we're celebrating today. We ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.